0: Office 365 Distilled. Hi everyone, this is Maran from the Office 365 Distilled podcast coming to you all solo. Um, it's not that I just want to play with myself, but I'm just recording just solo in my own studio. So hi, um, you will not be hearing Steve, although he is mixing this up um, and he might just add him, his own voice here to a little godlike voice voiceover or something. But I just want to come to you in a short 15-20 minute kind of podcast, uh, short episode around a specific topic that I want to talk about. Steve's going to do one as well. Um, let's see how these uh, go. Let's see how you like these. Uh, This might be a little more on topic, not that usual banter that Steve and I do. Uh, Not those uh, stupid jokes that we do, although they might uh, appear here as well. But uh, there will also be no whiskey tasting. So, well, that's a lot of things that are not going to happen. So what will you get more condensed information? This will be like uh, 15, 20 minutes of really, yeah, the the stuff that we really want to say without getting interrupted, but the things that we also really thought about and that we probably presented at some kind of conference. Um, definitely the case for my topic of uh, today uh, and that is how can you as an organization support the the citizen development that could happen in your organization? So for years and years and years, we had um, our our uh, shadow IT. We had people creating macros in Excel, creating Access databases, creating all kinds of stuff that IT didn't support. That was built on 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 weird, crazy platforms. Uh, sometimes uh, things were bought. Uh, APIs, public APIs were were consulted. Things like that, and and things that IT wasn't aware of. So. The big change with citizen development is that we as IT, we kind of embrace those people and we kind of want to bring them into the fold by giving them really good applications or a really good platform where they can actually do their stuff because the reason why they built it in the first place, that shadow IT, was to fill a need that IT couldn't fulfill because they didn't have time or a budget or they just weren't aware. So that need is still there. So we just need to give them a proper tool that we can give them training on, that we can support, that we can do all kinds of crazy things on. Um, And that way, yeah, we can just support them creating stuff on the right platform. So how can we as an organization uh, do that? And to me, there are four big pillars uh, here. So The first one is we need to create a maker culture in our organization. The second one is we need to train those people. So we need to build knowledge for them to execute. The third one is that we set up some processes and some boundaries, some guardrails as you like. And the fourth one is that we need to provide guidance on on how to do things. Okay, so let's dive a little bit deeper into those uh, four topics. All right, first topic, creating a maker culture. So maker is the, the popular name of people who are citizen developers, they're makers. And I think that is just an awesome title. And that's my first tip, just let people use that title, put it in there, in, in, in the signature, put it on a t-shirt, whatever, make those people visible. So those people that are building these things make them visible, give them a sticker on their laptop, give them a, a little statue, give them a t-shirt, whatever. Um, m- just make them visible. And the first question, of course, if you're going to build a maker culture, who is going to be your your makers? Um, so what you need to do first is you need to find capable employees that can actually start building these things. Now, you don't have to look very far because those will probably be the people that already built some of that shadow IT. So instead of punishing them, just bring them in right now because they would be the people that will that have yeah, that, that really want to build something, that want to be good for the organization and and so those would be the, the best people to start um, creating that maker culture with. So, um a great citizen developer, a great maker, uh, should be able to recognize a business need, should be able to define a good solution um, and and that way they can actually uh, help you in that organization. So the next part that you need to do in order to set up that maker culture is to Um, really encourage experimentation. So what you want to do for them is you want to give them this brand new uh, power platform, because we're talking about Microsoft technology power platform, Uh, you want to give that to them and you want them to do all kinds of really cool things that IT doesn't have budget or time for, like the small stuff so that you can have your proper developers work on important stuff. How do you do that? Okay, so you want to inspire some collaboration with IT. You want to get some of your IT developers to be able to function as a coach uh, for those people. So, have some experimentation afternoons, have a hackathon, uh, have an innovation lab, organize a Skunks Works or a something something garage. Like, th- that's for example how Microsoft does a bunch of their. Uh, innovative stuff is they have a Microsoft garage and people can just go there and build whatever they want and if it sticks it sticks so I think that's that's a pretty cool idea so encourage that um, business innovation by experimentation in your organization make sure that people have a place to do that now just don't go running around and, and and creating all kinds of experiments and just building stuff to build something. I mean, you still need to have these makers uh, coached by your IT people, but you also need to link them to your subject matter experts. So the people from the business that have that that need that need to be filled. So if you have the coach, the maker and a subject matter expert, you combine those people and you put some, you put a good program leader on top of that or some governance board, then you have a community of practice or a community of excellence or how whatever you want to call it. And those people will really be the, the, the basis of your whole maker culture. Those people will be the, 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 the bread and butter of what you can be doing uh, later on. Now, this maker culture, of course, you want to give that a place. You just don't want to, not only want to give them a sticker or a T-shirt, you also want to have a place where they can talk together and where they can showcase their ideas. So hackathons or or skunkworks are beautiful for that, but you also need like a day-to-day place where they can do that. So have a Yammer community, set up a Teams team, um, for those people to uh, showcase uh, their ideas, to celebrate successes, to share ideas, to share workarounds, to share results, uh, things that they've built, uh, but provide a place to network um, or have yeah, just ask questions uh, with other people or, or even to f- to find them good projects um, and have this Yammer or this team. This should really have a low barrier to entry. Um, Make it an open community so that everyone in your organization, if they feel like it, can just join if they want to. And if it's not for them, they can just disappear and that's okay. Yeah. So first step, start building a culture. Grab those people that you want, bring them in and um, start... Um, yeah, cultivating their knowledge, their want of doing things um, and the knowledge that is already uh, in the organization. So the second step is you need to train those citizen developers. So you've got that new platform. Um, they probably know access, they probably know um, uh, macros, uh, stuff like that. So they already have some knowledge. Now if they don't have that knowledge, but they are really eager to start working and they're really eager, they they really have ideas, um, then start building some competencies around future of work, digital literacy, and just basic citizen development proficiency. After that, or if they already have that, give them technical training around the Power Platform. And then at some point you gotta think, okay, um, who do I want to have in my organization to be able to create applications and workflows? Do I just want to have that everyone, or just everyone who followed that training, or do I kind of want to have a, a driver's license there? So maybe think about some kind of little test, or maybe a proper Microsoft certification. There's a there's a Power Platform fundamental. Uh, certification that you could have your people uh, do uh, which is also kind of like a benefit for them because they have that um, certification that they can uh, use to level themselves up. Um, so that is also a good idea uh, to do that because in my opinion not just everyone should be creating uh, forms and, and, and power apps and um, and workflows. Just only the people that really know how to do it now after that technical training you probably also want to give them some training around some some extra concepts like agile uh, compliance guidelines data security uh, best practices that you have within your organization Um, and you also want to set up some kind of feedback loop so they can uh, share new ideas back into the training uh, or create new skills, develop new skills and and feed that back into the training as well. So that is also very important. So that's the second step after building that maker culture. You have the the training for the people so they have the knowledge to execute. Third step here is setting up processes and boundaries because the goal really is that we want to battle shadow IT. We want to give people... Um, or or end users, we want to give them uh, applications or uh, that are really stable, that don't have errors, that don't look very bad. I mean, they need to have good, stable applications um, with a bunch of learning material if that's necessary. Um, if it's an automation, a business process that is automated, uh, people need to be able to depend upon that. And they should have like fallback notification systems if something is not running so that we always know that the automation is really running and we need reports that are clear and that have real time and insightful things. So it's not just that we want to build stuff. Um, I mean, some people just want to build everything and they'll just automate everything. But I mean, we need to keep in our head that we really want to do this for the for the benefit of our company. I mean, that's what we're doing this for. So not every automation or application should be a citizen development application. Some things just need to be built by IT. Some things could be built by a citizen developer. But you need to, just as Steve and I talked about in, in our last podcast, uh, episode 90, where we talked about the talk. You need to have the talk. You need to talk scope, cost to develop, cost to maintain, who's going to have ownership, what are the risks involved, what's the life cycle of our application, who's going to be the audience, who's going to use our application, what are compliance guidelines that I need to adhere to. So my golden nugget for you is create some kind of form that everyone who has a need to have something built within your organization, they should all um, fill in this form. And that form should say, okay, what's the problem that you have? How do we do this today? How? What would be a solution? What would be a better solution? Why would that be a better solution? Who's gonna use it? Is it just gonna be you and your project? Is it gonna be the department? It's gonna be the whole organization? How many times is it going to run? Like once every day for the next six months or 25 times per hour for the next five years? So what's the damage if it doesn't work? If it breaks, what else? But then do we need to create some adoption and training material? Is it going to be just internally or is it going to have an impact on outside people as well? Who is going to support the app? Is it going to be IT? Uh, Is it going to be somebody else? Um, if you have an, a future feature request, who is going to build that, who's going to handle that, who's going to do quality control? And then based on the answers that you will get is you will have a some kind of guideline around, okay, this, is, this has to be built by IT or this has to be built by a citizen developer or maybe we're just going to buy an extra application. That could be uh, something as well. So... Have that as a form and use that form to track a bunch of information. Like who is going to work on what project? What are going to be the costs to create this? What is going to be the ROI? What are the technologies that we're going to use? But also very important, which APIs are we going to use in what application? Because if we're going to do some work on some on, uh, some kind of API, we need to know where it is being used so that we know where we need to do some updates as well. So make sure that there's feedback to IT on what is built, not just for support, not just for new employee intake training, but also so they know what needs to be updated. So very important uh, parts there. So what you need to do is you need to define your governance, you need to set up those guidelines. That's the fourth pillar. Uh, So after maker culture, training your people, setting up boundaries, you need to define governance. And as Steve and I have been always talking about, uh, baseline governance, do some baseline governance around this. So let's just talk about that form. Um, How far do you want your citizen developers to go? What kind of accounts can you use? For example, uh, I know a few companies that say um, we let everyone create something in Power Automate to automate whatever they want. Uh, But that is not going to be supported by IT. And if the user leaves the organization, that's not our problem uh, if it doesn't run anymore. So you can do stuff for your own self. So just your own automation to make your personal life better. But when it's about a project or a department or the whole organization, we are going to build that in Logic Apps with a um, special account that it runs under so that we can also support it. So how far can you go? What are the accounts that you're going to use? Think about your uh, environments and, and the scope that they have. Think about what kind of third-party integrations are we going to allow? Um, what are the data stores that we're going to integrate? And then um, how are we going to track everything? How are we going to do access control? How are we going to audit uh, our data? And based on those things, you can really set up, uh, I think, a really good um At least the baseline governance uh, very, very fast um, or even a proper uh, deep dive uh, governance as well. So if you just want to do like a baseline governance, I found this really good um, drawing. Uh, So ping me if you want to have that drawing. Uh, It was from an article at uh, CIO.com. And it's called, uh, so maybe if you Google it, you will find it as well. It's called the Adaptive Governance Framework for Defining Citizen Developer Safe Zones. And it talks about the app complexity on the one hand and the business criticality on the other hand. So the app complexity, if it's just going to be change, um, create, read, update, uh, delete, or is it gonna be a workflow, that's the next step? Is it gonna be automation is the next step? Is it gonna be a composite is the next step? Versus business criticality, is it just gonna be for an individual or for a work group or a department or the full enterprise? And based on those two metrics, you will have some uh, safe zones where you can do some self-governing. You could have some orange zones that will have um, a supported zone where you will have co-creation with pro-developers. Um, you could have some red zones which might have, which are dangerous zones. So here you really want to have some IT oversight, some governance before you release something. And then you've got your black zone and that is off-limits to citizen developers. That's only meant for IT uh, owned uh, portfolio products like things that are uh, uh, automation or a composite for the whole enterprise. You really want to have some proper IT people uh, on top of that. So that is how you as an organization can really um, support your citizen developers. Um, if you want to go deeper on that, uh, the PMI, the you know them if you know anything about if you do anything about project management, you know PMI. Uh, they actually have a citizen development canvas uh, that has lots of uh, moving parts that you might want to use uh, to track your citizen development maturity, for example. Uh, so making sure that you are able to scale things up. So that's it for me. Um, no live whiskey tasting uh, this time although I am gonna enjoy a little whiskey the weather is pretty nice today uh, so I think I'm just gonna go sit outside smoke a cigar and uh, yeah have a little drum thank you so much for listening uh, let me know if this was good if this was kind of like the level you want our podcast to be on? Um, Did it go too fast? Was it too slow? Uh, Does this format work or do you just miss the voice of Steve? Um, Yeah, let me know. You can always find me at Maran Somers on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on wherever you want to find me. Um, And uh, yeah, just drop us a note at Office365 Distilled as well on Twitter. And uh, I will talk to you very, very, very soon on the next podcast of Office 365 Distilled. Ciao.